The treasure is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of our praise because of who he is as well as what he's done. Last week we started a series, God is still God no matter what. And you have to make sure you add that tagline, no matter what. Otherwise, we will add things to this that shouldn't be added. And we will excuse things that shouldn't be excused. But God is still God, no matter what. And this morning, we're going to be looking in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. Looking at Peter walking on the water. And coming up next Sunday, we're going to be taking a look at David and Goliath. And the week after that, we're going to be looking at the prodigal son. And the week after that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the week after that, the woman caught in adultery. And we might go further. Who knows? That's the plan right now. But God sometimes changes that. So it's not a contract between you and me. It's just a a warning. (laughs) that this is where we're headed. And as I said last week, this idea that God is still God no matter what is easy to buy when it goes our way. When what we pray for gets answered the way we prayed. But we have to remember, God is still God no matter what. Even if it doesn't go our way. For you see, this morning what we're looking at in Peter walking on the water has a phenomenal ending if we stopped it all right there. But if you have done any historical digging about Peter, you find out that the end of Peter's life, he was crucified for his faith, just like Jesus. But you see, God was still God when he saved him out of the water we're going to look at in a moment and God was still God when Peter was on the cross and he's still God today no matter what let me add a second tagline it's not good marketing to do this but let me add it anyway God is still God no matter what and God is still God even if it doesn't go our way God is still God, even if it goes someone else's way. Which might be harder than if it just doesn't go our way. But God is still God. If you have your Bibles or you're looking at the Bible on your device, I invite you to turn with me in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the first one in the New Testament, chapter 14. Beginning at verse 22. Now, you have to understand where this is happening. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. The one kid who had a mom who packed his lunch and God multiplied it and fed everybody. So it's on the heels of this incredible miracle. The one that was in the headlines of all the newscasts the next few days. Right after this is where we pick up in verse 22 of Matthew 14. 
And immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's like three to six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So many interesting things in this passage, and we focus on a couple of them and miss some others at times. We focus on the fact Jesus was walking on the water. That's impressive. It wasn't just because he knew where the stones were. I mean, he was actually walking on the water. No jet ski, just walking on the water. Peter, hey, can I do it too? And Jesus said, sure. So Peter got out of the boat. Now, everybody criticizes Peter. He's the only one that got out of the boat. Now, the fact that he sank later might be the, why he was the only one that got out of the boat, but that's beside the point. Jesus rescued him and said, you of little faith. Now, if I had been Peter, we'd all be in trouble, but if I had been Peter, I think my response after Jesus saved me and put me back in the boat, I wouldn't have said it until then. When he said, you of little faith might have been, well, what about the others? They didn't even get out of the boat. Because our tendency is not to compare ourselves to what Jesus asks, but to compare ourselves to what others are or are not doing. What about those guys? So Peter at least got out of the boat. Peter had quite a story to tell. I walked on the water for a little while. I'm also impressed that Peter asked this. Notice it says that he asked him, if you are the Lord, if it is really you. My translation has that he used the word command me to come to you. And then something else Peter doesn't get credit for. It says, so he got out of the boat. Why? Because Jesus said, come on. He was actually being obedient to what Jesus asked. Jesus always 
calls us to himself. Even those who are ignoring the call. Jesus is always saying, come. No matter what you're facing. Because God is still God. So let's look at our questions. Question number one as we're doing with each of these each week is how did we get here? Now remember, a great miracle had just happened. The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus put the disciples in the boat to send them across to the other side ahead of him. And Peter's walking on the water and then he crashed. You need to understand that it is not uncommon for there to be a crash after a great victory. Humanly, emotionally, all kinds of things go on. We get through something wonderful and then we crash. Now, physiologists, doctors, psychologists will tell us that part of that is a natural up and down. That when we are on a great high, this is awesome. There has to be a recovery and sometimes if we don't do what we should do to recover, we crash instead. So sometimes when you begin to crash, it's simply because you didn't take care of yourself after the great exertion, the great victory, the great celebration. How many times on December 26th have you woke up and gone, I just feel kind of down. You've celebrated, you've been with family, you've open presence and ignored how much you spent. You've done all kinds of things that have been exciting. And at some point, the body says, my turn. We looked at this when we looked at our series on God cares about your mental and emotional health. That we have to anticipate some of these things. Great spiritual victories sometimes are followed by great temptation, which is part of what happened to Peter here. We also need to realize that Peter got there and we get into our situation sometimes because the focus and faith went away from Jesus. Notice what the passage says. Peter is walking on the water, but verse 30, when he saw the wind, or more accurately, the effect of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He started looking at Jesus because Jesus said, come on. Then he started looking at the waves and noticing the wind, and he began to sink. Been there? I started out pretty good, no matter how tough it was, but then I was reminded, these waves are pretty high. That wind is pretty strong. I'm walking on water. I can't walk on water. And down he went. Too many times we do that, don't we? We start out well. But then the doubts creep in and we get our focus and our faith on the wrong stuff. In fact, what happened was his faith faded. He started out great. Jesus said, come, and Peter got out of the boat. Now, just time out for a second. What were the other disciples saying at that moment? I wish that would have been recorded. 
Thomas is going, this isn't going to work. John's going, I thought he loved me. Why didn't he call me out there? I mean, what would you have been doing? Peter's going, you're going, what's he doing? Ah, Peter, the show off. Whatever. Peter's faith was so strong when he climbed over the edge of the boat. And then the waves got in his line of sight and his faith faded. Let me ask you, what makes your faith fade? What does it take for you to get your focus off of Jesus and onto the circumstances? That's how we get here. Where we believe we're about to sink because of what's around us. So the question we're asking every week is, now what do we do? Peter's out of the boat. He's in the water. He's starting to sink. The waves are higher than he can handle. Now, what do we do? The news was not good. The job report was not good. We're not feeling good. The relationship isn't working well. Whatever it might be that becomes the waves in your life. And we start to look at those waves. Now, what? Peter gives us a great example. Number one, cry out to Jesus. I love this. In verse 30, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. If you don't know anything else to say in a difficult situation, those three words are great. Lord, save me. If you don't know what to do, that's a great prayer. Lord, save me. His focus went back to Jesus there, didn't it? His faith faded because he started looking at the waves, but once he started to go down, he knew where to turn. That's what we need to recognize. That's what we need to do is cry out to Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's not a very impressive prayer. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Jesus gave us an example of a prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a, a powerful prayer. It's somewhat formal. Peter had no formality about this prayer. He didn't even kneel. He was floundering in the water. I doubt if he closed his eyes because he was looking at the waves. It doesn't matter whether you're formal. It doesn't matter if you get the right words out. Just cry out to Jesus. In fact, sometimes all we can do is cry and no words come out. And he still hears us. He still understands it. Just cry out to him. Sometimes the prayer is one word. Why? Sometimes it's just looking at Jesus pleading but cry out to him. Secondly, listen to his call. Whatever he's saying to you, do that. Peter did that ahead of time. He forgot about it when he got in the water. 
cry out to Jesus, listen to his call. What is he saying? In his word, in your heart, in your mind, in your time of prayer, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that he has sent. What is he saying? Listen to his call. He's always calling. Satan trying to tell some of you right now, that's true for everyone in this room but you. Satan's trying to say that right now to some of you who are tuning in online and going, yeah, not for those of you that are sitting at home. This doesn't work. Yes, it does. He's always calling to each one of us. He has, as we looked at last week, a general call to everyone, and he has specific calls to us in our situations and for what he desires of us. Listen to his call. Then exercise faith. Exercise your faith, no matter how far it may have faded. No matter how small a step of faith you take, God rewards it always. And I look at this, and Peter beginning to sink. Now notice he didn't begin to sink till he was afraid of the wind. He didn't begin to sink till he started looking at the waves. But beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out. What I don't see there is Peter slapping his hand away. But I have to admit, there have been times when I have. Have you? You can look back and realize he was reaching for us, and we're like, but that's not what I wanted. I, I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go here. I didn't want you to answer this way. I wanted to answer this way. We need to exercise some faith. And here's a fact about faith. Faith becomes flabby unless you exercise it regularly. Just like our bodies. Just like our minds. Just like our hearts. If you're not exercising your faith regularly, your faith is going to become flabby. Peter exercised it. When Jesus reached out, he didn't slap it away. In fact, the image I have of that is Peter grabbing for everything he had as Jesus grabbed him. In fact, Peter may have erroneously thought he got a hold of Jesus when Jesus already had a hold of him. Are you reaching back as he reaches out to you? Exercise that faith. Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like these waves. This wind is stronger than I thought it was going to be. I can't do this. I'm beginning to sink. I can't swim. But I'm holding on to you. It's the best place to be. No matter what else is going on. So what we do next is keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. I have occasionally. Jody would tell you more than occasionally. But we disagree about this. I have occasionally. When driving. While looking at other things. Weaved a little bit. Off center. On the road. It's only happened just. I'm two or three times. 
She'll tell you more. She's not here today, so it's only happened two or three times. Do you know that every time that's happened, there's been one common denominator? Well, two, me. And the fact that where I looked is where I went. It's true spiritually also. What you're focusing on, what you're following, what you are looking at is where you will go. So if you want to follow Jesus, just keep looking at him. Just keep looking at his word. Just keep following him. Because every time, just like those two or three times in the car, when my eyes went off of where they should have been, whenever my eyes get off of him, I go that way. So what do we do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. So what lessons are learned? What can we learn from this? Well, one thing, it's not on your outline, but just recognize where God guides, he provides. You notice at the very beginning, verse 14 of this passage, it says that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. They got afraid because they were having trouble getting to the other side. Now, it says they were a long way from land. You know what that was according to what is written in the original language. They were about 200 meters. They were about an eighth of a mile from land. Now, that's a long way if it's at night and you're rowing against the wind. But it's not a long way when you just look at the big picture. And they were fearful because of how bad the winds and the waves were. They were wondering, are we going to make it to the other side? But verse 14 says, Jesus sent them ahead to the other side. He didn't send them ahead to crash. He intended for them to make it in this case. And it's true for us. We need to recognize if God has sent us, if he's guided us, he will provide even if the waves are high. As a pastor, I love being a pastor, except on some days. None of those have happened since I've been here. But on certain days, I've wondered... What am I doing? Where's this going? That's why I have done my best to always be where God wanted me to be. So that when those days came, when the waves got high and the wind got strong, I knew I was where I was supposed to be, though I didn't understand what was going on. Because if I knew I was where I was supposed to be, the waves didn't stop me. Because he sent me, so he was going to take me where he wanted me to go. And that's true for you. That's true as a parent with kids. 
That's true in a marriage with a spouse. That's true in ministry and serving for every one of us. When God guides, he provides. Lessons learned. God is stronger than any waves. Look at the last verse. Or the last two verses. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, that's Jesus and Peter, the wind ceased. If you're not sure about the word ceased, it means it stopped. If you're not sure what that means, I can't help you. They got in the boat and it stopped. They were wondering if they were going to make it. And because Jesus was with them, they no longer worried. Jesus is stronger than any wave you are facing. He is stronger than any wind. Imagine preaching this this morning in Florida. One of my good friends who used to be on staff with me, he's pastoring down in Florida. Saw pictures yesterday and they're having to meet somewhere else. The water is actually higher surrounding their church this week than it was last week. But they're still meeting, just in a different spot. Because God's stronger than the waves and the wind. God's stronger than whatever you are facing. Also, we need to learn and remember that focusing on the wrong stuff will take you under every single time. When he was focusing on Jesus, he was on top. When he was focusing on the wind and the waves, he started to sink. And at the same time, Peter learned and we need to learn, Jesus is always available. Even in the wind. Even at four in the morning. The Lord woke me up at 422 this morning. My alarm was set to go off at five anyway. It's like, Lord, come on. Another 38 minutes is all I ask. But I've learned over the years when that happens, when it's not some noise, when it's not the pizza that I ate last night, when it's nothing else going on and just awaken for no reason that I can think of, I just start praying. I just start going through the list. So for the next 38 minutes until my alarm went off, I just prayed for a bunch of you and for all my kids and some other friends and where you see, Jesus is always available. No matter what, no matter where, no matter when. I am so glad to know that God never has a lunch break time. I got a call this week from the pharmacy. Hey, your prescription is available and you come in. If you have questions for the pharmacist, understand they won't be available during these times. I'm glad that I don't start praying in here. I'm sorry, Jesus isn't available for the next 30 minutes. He's always available. So whenever, wherever, for whatever, cry out to him. He's there. So then the next question is, what are my next steps? If I began to sink, but Jesus is rescuing me. Now what? What's the next 
right step. Number one, listen to God's plan. Listen for his plan. And then, I don't have it on there because I thought it was obvious, but I'll say it anyway. Then follow the plan. Listen for the plan. You can't follow it if you don't know it. So listen. Pay attention. What's he saying? Where is he guiding? And then do that plan. Secondly, hold on to Jesus and his plan. On some of those days, as a pastor, when it's like, why? Just holding on to him because I go, okay, Lord, you called. I'm doing what you're asking, whether I understand everything or not. Follow it. Hold on to him and follow his plan. Keep on praying. We can put that down as a lesson every week. Keep on praying. Be in an attitude and spirit of prayer. If you're driving, don't close your eyes and pray. You don't have to get in position. Just pray. Cry out. Keep on praying. When things are going well, keep on praying. When things are not going so well, keep on praying. When you're not sure what's going on, keep on praying. He's available. He cares. And then lastly, worship even in the storm. Verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him. Did you notice it was not 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? It was four or five o'clock in the morning out on the lake in a storm. And they had a worship service. Look in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas were in a prison. Chained up. And they had a worship service. Worship him. Worship him in all things at all times. Even in the storm. In fact, one of the greatest ways to get your eyes off the waves is just worship him. In whatever way you choose. In your style. So I have to ask you this morning, what's your focus? Where's your focus been? Is it on Jesus or the stuff? Is it on his plan or your wishes? Are you listening for his plan so you can follow it? Or are you trying to convince God to do your plan? Man, I waste a lot of time doing that. I'd have a lot more energy and be a lot further ahead if always I just followed his plan instead of trying to make his plan mine. Let me ask you, how's your worship? Well, if they'd sing, no, has nothing to do with that. How's your worship? What I've discovered is the greatest worship services I've ever been in, and they've been in stadiums, they've been in gyms, they've been by myself, they've been in the car, they've been in Sunday worship services. Every one of those has always been preceded by times of my own worship ahead of time. And the more prepared my heart was by having worshiped already, the greater the people up front did. You want me to preach better? Worship ahead of time. You want Tony to lead better? Worship ahead of time. 
worship even in the storm, in the boat, in the middle of the night. They worshiped. Do you know why they worshiped? Because he is worthy. Because God's still God, no matter what. The question is, what are you going to do in the midst of your no matter what? Jesus, thank you for providing. Thank you that we can have confidence that wherever you guide, you provide. You are with us. You're available. We can cry out to you. Even if all we can do is cry. Lord, thank you that you're stronger than anything we will see, hear, or face. Lord, thank you that you love us so much you don't leave us. So Lord, I want to be like Peter and be willing to get out of the boat, but I want to keep my eyes on you. Lord, help our focus to be where it needs to be on you and your plan. And may we help each other whether we're in the boat or in the waves. Whether it's smooth or the waves are worse than we could have possibly imagined. Help us to help one another. And Lord, may you guide us in our worship so that it's focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's you. May this week show the world around us that you are still God and that we're following you. In Jesus' name, amen.